Um, we're going to be in Psalm 34, uh, focusing on verse 8. That's on page 488 of your pew Bibles. Um, so take some time to get there. Uh, before I say anything, let's just pray. Father, we need your help right now to be able to see what you want us to see. And Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Um, God, unite our hearts to fear your name. In Jesus' name, amen. This semester at school... Um, I'm taking a Spanish class, and it's been an interesting experience, to say the least. Uh, recently for homework, uh, everyone was required to read an article titled, The End of Romantic Love, The Limits of Monogamy and Desire. And just this past week, a guest lecturer wearing a locket with a picture of the Virgin Mary on it disparaged Christian missions as colonialism and use the, uh, the word Puritan as a negative adjective. Now, I love my professor and all my peers in that class, and it's been quite eye-opening to what the world considers its enemies these days. But I do often wonder, is this class about Spanish or something else in Spanish? I myself feel like I'm surrounded by enemies on all sides, constantly on high alert, checking everything against the scriptures to see if the issues raised are truly so, or if they're just opinions coming from a place of hurt or fear. Now, you don't have to be a student in a university Spanish class to experience, uh, relate to my experience. Um, we all seem to have enemies in our lives, and we need protection from them. And this is exactly what God wants to address tonight from our passage. So here's the main exhortation for, for you tonight. Experience for yourself the true joy of God's protection. Experience for yourself the true joy of God's protection. Before any, I go any further, um, let's just, just to help, help um, set up the context, let's consider where we are in the storyline of this, the Bible. Um, Psalm 34 was written by David to praise God for delivering him from his enemies. David was running away from Saul, his own king who wanted to murder him out of envy. David left everything, and he went behind enemy lines into Philistine territory called Gath. And now if you're familiar with the story of David and Goliath, you know that Gath was actually the hometown of Goliath. And so you can just imagine how notorious David would have already been among the people of Gath. They would have known him as the guy who killed our friend Goliath. And surely enough, when David came to the house of King Achish, or Abimelech, in Gath, the servants begin to recognize him. Now just imagine how helpless and desperate David would have felt at that moment. All he has with him is a sword and a promise of kingship from God. And if his identity is exposed right there in the middle of enemy grounds, that's pretty much certain death for him. David needed to be delivered from that situation. And so in desperation, David resorts to acting mentally unstable, which miraculously allows him to be sent away unharmed. 
And in this psalm, David is remembering this near-death experience, and he joyfully gives all the credit to the Lord who protected him from his enemies. And with that, we come to our text. So look with me at verse 8 of Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. Now, if you're taking notes, there are uh, two ways you can experience for yourself the true joy of God's protection, according to this text. First, know the Lord personally. And second, take refuge in the Lord's protection. Know the Lord personally and take refuge in the Lord's protection. So, point number one. Uh, know the Lord personally. Look with me at the first half of this verse. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Notice how David uses active and sensory words like taste and see to describe an individual's experience with God. Now, what does it actually mean to taste and see? Are we to rely on our internal sensation or perception of God to tell us who he is? Is God only present when we feel him, whatever that means? And if the living God, who revealed himself in his word, doesn't feel right to us, then do we have the right to point our fingers at God and say that he's not my God? No, absolutely not. I mean, there's so many problems with that line of thinking, but we don't have time to talk about that right now. But what does it actually mean then? Well, if you read through Psalm 34 for context, you can see that David's boasting is in uh, God's personal response to his call for help during his um, near-death experience. Um, Just look at his testimony in verses 4 through 7. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. So it's clear that David's firsthand experience of God's protection and his deliverance is the the main motivation for writing the psalm. David was in a personal relationship with the Lord, Yahweh. And under Yahweh's protection, David tasted and saw for himself that the Lord was good. Now, I wonder if that's true of you today. Children and teenagers, listen up. I just want to talk to you as an older brother who was in your shoes not too long ago. I grew up my whole life following my mom to church every single week. I knew all the songs, I knew what Christians are supposed to do, what they're supposed to say. I had a lot of friends at church, and I know many of you are blessed um, to have a similar story. But you need to realize that if you don't personally know Jesus for yourself, then all of this is meaningless. Yes, enjoy the blessings of this church that loves you dearly, but don't assume that you know Jesus just because you grew up in church or your dad is a pastor, or your parents know Jesus. You have to get to know him yourself. And so ask yourself, have I surrendered my own life to Jesus? And if you haven't, do it tonight. 
You can ask your parents about what it means to personally know and follow Jesus. Now, parents, you can help your children know the Lord personally by asking them how God is working in their day-to-day. You can ask, how was God good to you while you were at school today? Also, you could share the gospel regularly with them, with your words and your actions. Encourage them to taste and see for themselves um, what you already taste and see. You could tell them during dinner about what God showed you in his word that morning. And church, it goes without saying that we should be personally experiencing every day the communion we already have with God. It would make no sense to rave about a dish that you've never actually had. How can you tell others to taste and see something that you don't taste and see yourself? Do you view your walk with the Lord as a real relationship? Are you able to say that you hear from God daily as he speaks in his word and that you speak to him in prayer and that God hears you whenever you do that? Or do you just bear the name of Christian while living a life that practically looks like that of an atheist? What a waste of a life that would be. Brothers and sisters, we are so blessed to be a church that cares about sound doctrine and getting the truth right, but we can't be satisfied with that. Our theology should be making us hungry for the person behind it It's a relationship, people, with a real person, and his name is Yahweh. Do you know him? Now, if you don't actually know the Lord, keep listening, because I have good news for you. As long as you are breathing, you can get to know him, even now. And getting to know the Lord will be the best decision you ever make in your life. This brings us to our second point take refuge in the Lord's protection. Look with me at the rest of this verse. It says, how happy is the person who takes refuge in him? So what do you need to do in order to experience that the Lord is good? Take refuge in him. David cried out and he sought refuge in the Lord. And the Lord answered him and rescued him from all his troubles. That's verses four through six. Now, what was he taking refuge from? Well, we know that David had at least two enemies here in the context of our psalm. His first enemy was King Saul, who was on a uh, manhunt to murder David. And his other enemies were the Philistines, whose land David was hiding in. And I just think it's important to stop here and acknowledge that David was afraid of his enemies. Look at the end of verse 4. It says... He answered me, and he rescued me from all my fears. David had fears about his enemies, and it's natural to fear things that could hurt us. It's part of the human condition. But here's what you really need to see from our text. It's that David's fear of his enemies might have been great, but his fear of the Lord was greater. When David feared losing his life, he sought refuge in the Lord. And because, that's because he knew and he tr- trusted that only God had the power to save him from anything. That's how David came out of that situation alive. And he was able to explode with joy with a testimony of the psalm of praise. A healthy fear of the Lord will drown out all other fears. And it leads to eternal happiness and true contentment in the eternal God. 
Now, with our remaining time, I just want to identify some specific enemies that we might have and help us consider how we can experience for ourselves the true joy of God's protection from these enemies. First, if you don't know the Lord, I've been telling you today that God will protect you from your enemy if you take refuge in him. This is true, and it really is good news. But what you need to realize is that if you're not in Christ, your enemy is not a certain politician or a lack of prosperity or even the devil. Actually, your enemy is God. God says in Romans 3.23 that all, including you and me, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You were purposefully created by God in the beginning to enjoy a relationship with him. But in your heart, you decided that you would rather be your own God, live life your own way, seek refuge in, and protection in the passions of your flesh, instead of finding it in the Lord. By your disobedience, you have spit on the face of the holy God who gave you life. And you have earned the penalty for your sins, which is eternal condemnation under God's justice. It is good for God to judge us sinners for our rebellion. And he will. So if you don't know the Lord, you shouldn't be comfortable right now. Because if you don't do anything about it, you will eventually still taste and see that the Lord is good under his holy, wrathful justice. But stay with me here, because our verse still holds true, right? That only God can save you from your enemies. Only God can save you from himself. And God demonstrated this to us in love for his enemies by making his only begotten son, Jesus, who knew no sin because he is himself God, to be sin on our behalf. And at the cross, God crushed his only son, spotless son in the place of all his enemies who would take refuge in him so that there remains no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And on the third day, Jesus Christ rose bodily from the grave and he reigns today as king in heaven and he's offering you full forgiveness of your sins and an eternal relationship with the Lord. That's the good news. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the story of every child of God of how they have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. It's my own story. And it can be your story too. If you'll only take refuge in him by repenting of your sins or turning from your sins and trusting in Jesus' work alone for your salvation. So flee to him. He is your only hope. Cry out to the Lord for mercy tonight, as David did, and he will deliver you, for he is good. That is a promise. If you have any more questions about this, I would love to talk with you after, or talk with the person who brought you. Now, to the person who has trusted in the Lord. Church, we are living in this world as exiles, surrounded by enemies, just like David who are your enemies and where are you taking refuge? Maybe your enemy's discontentment. You struggle with covetousness, envy, love of money. You often compare yourself to others. You wish you had more money, better looks, a better house, a husband or wife, 
or children, a higher GPA, or that brother or sister's spiritual gift. If that's you, you are seeking refuge in the things of this world, which are fleeting. So turn from this idol and remind yourself that there's no reason to be discontent no matter how little you have. Beloved, you are rich in Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And this isn't talking about material wealth. This is spiritual richness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is every spiritual blessing in heaven in Christ, as Ephesians 1 says. And David also understood this, right? In verse 6, it says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. Verse 9 says, Those who fear him lack nothing. Nothing. Verse 10 says, Those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. So, beloved, you might not have much by worldly standards, but preach to yourself, Christ is my only hope, and I have him, so I shall not want. Maybe your enemy falls under the general umbrella of sin and all its consequences. Are you suffering under an unjust boss at work? Have you been given a crippling thorn in the flesh, whether physical or spiritual? Are you discouraged by the amount of sin and evil in yourself and your fellow human beings? Is old age and death a concern for you? Now, all these questions are surely important to consider. But remember, this world is not how it was meant to be. These earthly sorrows that grieve us are meant to remind us that we don't belong to this world. We're exiles. And here's the remedy for that. God sees everything. Take all your burdens to the Lord. He meant to give you thorns in your flesh so that you'd learn to take refuge in him alone. His grace in Christ is truly sufficient. Do you believe that? Church, we should rejoice that through Christ we have been delivered from the power of death. And when Jesus returns, he will deliver us from sin itself. We can be happy in the Lord amidst all our sorrows because we know that our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And on that glorious day, just one look at the face of Christ will be enough to wipe away all memory of suffering during our short life here on earth. So stop living for the end of the week. Live for that day. What is a weekend compared to an eternity with our King? Now, until our Lord returns, our battle against the enemy is going to be fierce. There's no doubt about that. But don't you ever forget, this victory was already won at the cross. And our king is coming back to deliver us in the end, just as God delivered David in this psalm. That's a promise for you. This is your portion of the feast, so taste it and see it. Take your stand against Satan on the authority and sufficiency of the word of God and own this promise for yourself. He will not let you be put to shame. Let's pray. Father, we are just in awe that you are king 
who would leave his throne to die for his enemies. And Lord, as, as redeemed enemies, Lord, who get a seat at your table, Lord, help us to taste and see your mercies that are new every morning. Let all who seek you rejoice and truly be glad in you, Lord. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.